Lord God, we come before you tonight, and we just want to ask that you would um, just enlighten our understanding as we open up your word, as we take a look at the scriptures, and as we consider the concepts of being a minister, that you would convict us deep within our heart to understand uh, the things that, that you really want us to understand tonight. You have a mission for all of us to accomplish in this world, and, um, and it's not really complicated, but we tend to make things very, very complicated when it comes to spiritual matters, when things are very, very simple. So I pray, God, that you would give us just a piece of your heart tonight, um, that we would be able to engraft that piece into ours, and that we would allow you to just let that work inside of us, that we would become the ministers that would bring you honor and glory with our life, that one day when we stand before you and we look over our life and all the history of our life, and that we'd be able to hear from your mouth, well done, good and faithful servant. So help us tonight to consider these things and to see ourselves in the mirror of God's word. And I pray that you would change us from the inside out however you want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our series on being a disciple, learning to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. So that's what it really means to be a disciple. You know, as I've been thinking about this, you know, I'm getting ready for the Mexico trip that's coming up. And, um, and the message that's really just been stirring in my heart has been what we covered at the very beginning of this series and that is, in the Bible, you find the term disciple much more than you find the term Christian. In your Bible, you find the term Christian like two or three times max, period. But disciple is over 250-some-odd times in your Bible. And so what you find out is that a person that is born again, that is in love with Jesus Christ, and they follow him, and they have devoted their entire life to him, they are disciples. And then faithful disciples are then called Christians. And that is something that is completely different than what you see in our culture today and in the Christian culture, especially in mainstream Christianity. And so after coming out of camp, we hit this, and there's just been some topics that we've been working through. And this is one of them that we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time on. So we're going to do this this week. Um, next Wednesday, Rick is going to be giving a personal testimony on how God has been working him on being a minister um, and how God has been changing him. And then when I come back from Mexico, we're going to pick this up again. And I want to make this mo much more practical uh, because I want you guys to take this stuff and I want you to use this tomorrow. So that name that you wrote down, those names that you wrote down, I want you to really think about them because I want you to do something about it. I think too many times we come to church, we hear good information, and then we don't do anything about it. And Christians that do that are hypocrites. You come in and you hear what God wants you to do, and then we leave and we do nothing with it. That is not being a good steward of what God has entrusted to you. And I'm guilty of this too. It's easy for us to come to church, to hear the messages, and just to walk out and just to be exactly the same. And we somehow appease our conscience because, well, I went to church, I heard a message, I let it convict me, but then we don't let it change and affect our lives in any way. That is wrong. That is absolutely wrong. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, when God speaks, we hear it, and then we do something about it. There has to be action behind it, or you're not going to be faithful. It's only a matter of time, then you become that religious Pharisee who's the giant hypocrite where Jesus is looking at them directly in the face and saying, Whoa, whoa, unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, because you're doing this when God wants you to do that. And so that's something that we do not want to be in that position. You do not want to find yourself in that position. So we're going to talk a little bit about this, and then we're going to come back to it and make it very, very practical. All right? So... Let's hit this paragraph, we'll work through it a little bit, and then we'll hit some of these concepts, and then we'll apply it. All right, so as born-again believers, we are appointed by God to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. We talk about this all the time, 
And I'm sorry if you get tired of it, but it is true. You are God's representative in this world. You are. That is part of your responsibility. The moment that you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are God's representative in this world to everyone you come across to. And so that means that your words matter, your decisions matter, the things that you do and don't do matter in your life, because it's more than just you. It's that you represent God by your behavior and the things that you choose to do or choose not to do. This means that ministry ought to be something that is second nature to you each and every day. Like this is something that once you become a Christian, once you become a disciple, once you're born again, ministry just happens. It's part of the natural progression of a Christian. Once you're saved, there might be some things that you need to learn and grow in in your knowledge, in your understanding, but God expects you to be a minister like right away, right away. And this is not something that should be rocket science because think about it. A person that is lost, they hear the gospel and how to, how to receive salvation and they become born again. Now they're adopted into God's family. Now they know something that somebody else needs to know. They automatically now can minister the gospel to somebody else that's lost right away because they were lost. They heard the gospel, believed it, and it changed their life. And now they can turn around and talk to somebody else who's lost about the exact same thing. So there's no such thing as, well, I become a Christian and then I need time to grow before I become a minister. Mm -mm. That doesn't exist in God's economy. It doesn't exist. You can immediately minister right away. So this is something that ministry should be second nature to you. It should be something that's very normal. It should be part of your day. And I would submit to you that I believe that most Christians, it's not normal. It's not something that they just go and do. Somehow along the lines, we are saved, we're born again, we hear the gospel, we believe it, and then we just learn how not to be a minister. Because you remember the time that you got saved, especially those of you that got saved a little bit later? You remember that when you got saved, how excited you felt? How you have been set free and how burdened for other people that you, that you are? I mean, it's just part of the natural progress of all this. I mean, so even like, I think it was, um, so uh, Monday night, was it Monday? Yeah, Monday night, we come home from the soccer game. So we're coming home from the soccer game. I'm talking to my kids. And Lucas just out of nowhere says, hey, mom, dad, every night I pray to be saved every single night. Like, oh, all right. So then we start having this conversation and Megan starts talking to him and says, well, you know, buddy, you don't need to pray every single night. That's not what the Bible says. You can't lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And so then, you know, she kind of elbowed me a little bit. And then I started talking about the gospel and started talking about other things. And then we had this big, long conversation about, you know, what happens when you die and what the gospel actually is and how a person can get saved. And then Lily jumps in and she's like, well, I haven't prayed. And, and then so now we have this huge, giant conversation. And then it progresses into the house. So we unload everything. We get into the house. And Lucas uh, immediately comes in. He's like, Dad, 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 can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I really want to pray. I really want to pray because I want to be saved. I want to make sure. I'm like, all right. So we sit down and he prays one of the sweetest prayers I've heard him pray. It was just amazing. He said, you know, God, I know I'm a liar. I know I'm a liar and I just really need you to help me. It was just so sweet. It was awesome. And then Lily comes over after we were done praying and Lily says, you know, I prayed too. And I said, well, when did you pray? She's like, well, I prayed in the van after we had that conversation. And I'm like, that's awesome. 
Now, I don't know. I mean, God knows the sincerity of their heart. But we had a big, long conversation. And then after all that, they're talking to me about what happens when you die. And Sammy, our dog, does he have a soul? What happens to him when he dies? And they started crying because I told them that animals don't have souls. And then, and then, we, started, and then we, got, we got on this conversation about, well, I don't want you to die. And I'm like, well, I'm actually looking forward to getting to heaven. I said, because when I get to heaven, and Lily's like, what's well, going to be boring in heaven? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not going to be boring in heaven because when I get to heaven, I'm going to get to talk to my grandma June. I miss talking to my grandma June. I'm going to get to talk to my grandpa Paul. I'm going to get to talk to your grandpa Lester. And and guess what? I'm going to get to talk to David and Abraham. And I'm going to ask questions with Elijah. Like, Elijah, how was that chariot ride? I mean, seriously. And Paul, when you're on the road to Damascus and that bright light shone all around you, I mean, what was that like? I mean, I read it and I get it, but how bright was that light? And they started laughing. And, and then Lucas is like, well, I just love my family and I don't want any of my family to go to hell. And so he's thinking about these things. And immediately it convicted me in my heart about how calloused I've become towards some lost people. That I forget sometimes at, at the normal course of the day that... I have neighbors that if they were to die tomorrow, they're going straight to hell. And that should bother me. I mean, that should bother me. That you read passages in like Revelation 20, 15, that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then you think about people that have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, that have not trusted them as their savior, and that's their eternal destination. Like those things, they start to, they should, they should be stirring in your heart and give you, giving you a burden for people. And see, this is why we're still here. This is why God, after you're saved, God didn't immediately rapture you out of here because you're his, his ambassador. And he wants you to be his representative to the world, to everyone that you come in contact with. And it doesn't matter how small the conversation is or how big the conversation is. The fact is, have the conversation because you don't know where it's going to go and you don't know how God is going to use that in their life. You have no idea. And I think so many of us have just become so calloused and we've receded back into our selfish, self-centered ways that we just forget and we don't have this burden for the lost world. Because if you remember, Acts 1.8, what is it? Anyone know that one? Anyone have that memorized? But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, which by the way, when you get saved, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses of who? Jesus, where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost. That's the commission God has given us. Our Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, the uttermost. And if you do not have a heart for the world, if you do not have a heart for the world, there's something that's off. If you do not have a heart for people, when it comes to spiritual matters, there's something not right. And your heart is not aligned appropriately. And some of you need to stop lying to yourself, thinking that you're okay with God, when really there's something else that's going on. And you need to realign your heart. Because we need to be out there. We need to be out there. We need to be doing the work. We need to be having conversations with people. We need to be inviting people to church. We need to be inviting people to activities. Not just because that's what Christians do. No. No. Then it becomes nothing more than just religion. It's because we have a heart for people and we don't want people to perish because God doesn't want them to perish. That's what we're talking about when it it comes to being a minister. So this should be second nature. Let's continue in the paragraph. 
We are sons, daughters of the King, and it is expected that our heart be aligned with God's heart as we willingly submit ourselves to be conformed to the image of His Son. When we are obedient to this reasonable expectation, we will begin to speak and behave the same as Jesus Christ. We will speak and preach the truth and love to others because that's what He did. We will manifest God to those that are willing to hear and receive it because that's what He did. We will personally care for the sick, wayward, and outcast because that's what He did. We will be personally, we personally will be inconvenienced to reach out to others because that's what he did. We will rebuke the self-righteous when necessary because that's what he did. We will personally teach and invest in, the, in, the, in our disciples that we will have that will be able to carry on the mission after your life is over because that's exactly what Jesus did. And we will willingly sacrifice our life for the sake of others because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was strategic and purposeful in his plan to reach the world. He used his time and his talents wisely, and so should we. And we've got to be able to do this. I feel like some of you guys are struggling in your Christian walk because you're missing this element. You're completely missing this element. If this element gets incorporated into your life, your Christianity, your, your Christian walk, your walk with God is going to explode. I mean, it will explode. And I mean, can you see it? I mean, I've, I've shared this with you guys before. I can actually envision my life given over to the things that God wants me to do. I mean, living wholeheartedly for the things of God. And it is unbelievably exciting. Unfortunately, most of the time I shut it down because of my selfish nature. Because I don't want to be inconvenienced or other things are taking priority rather than the things of God. So we really need to analyze our own heart in this particular matter. Okay, so there's three things that we got to do. If you really want to mature into a minister of Jesus Christ, there are three things that you have got to do. It's just par for the course. These three things are expected. It's nothing that's, that's crazy, like brand new. It's just stuff that we've kind of repackaged. We talk about this stuff all the time. But there are three things that you've got to do to mature into the minister that God wants you to be. So first of all is walk with the Lord and serve him first. That is the very first thing. And that means that you're prioritizing prayer in your life. You're talking to him daily and throughout the day. You're prioritizing the word of God in your life. You're reading the Bible. You're memorizing the Bible. You're getting the Bible inside your heart. And you're prioritizing discipleship. So walking with the Lord and serving him first. Go to Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Let's take a look at this. Acts 13. Acts 13. And somebody else take Matthew 6.21. Go ahead, Kent. You got that one. Matthew 6.21. So Acts 13, everybody. In case you're having a hard time finding it, it's after Acts 12 and before Acts 14. Okay? All right. Good. All right. And if you have the same Bible as me, it's on page uh, 1372. We do? Nice. Okay, we're Bible buddies. Okay, so walk with the Lord and serve him first. All right, so this is the first time in the Bible that you find people that are sent out as missionaries, and it is Paul. I mean, outside of persecution happened in Acts chapter 8, because the church in Jerusalem, they were not being obedient to the call of God in Acts 1.8. They were not going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. They all came to Jerusalem, and they stayed in Jerusalem. That's all they did. And they ministered to the Jews in Jerusalem. So what happened was, is that God had to bring something in to get them out. 
And so God brought persecution in to get them out of their homes and into Judea and Samaria and begin to go out into the uttermost because they were unwilling to obey God's commission. So this is another great application, by the way. In your life, if you are not willing to go, God is going to do something in your life to get you uncomfortable to go. And if you remain disobedient, he is going to be on you like white on rice until you go and you be obedient. He's going to. And if you're living just the nominal Christian life and God's not giving you issues and he's not convicting you about getting out there, then there's probably something else that's going on. I'm not saying you're not saved. That's only between you and God. But when the Holy Spirit is inside of you and this is God's heart and you don't have this heart and God is not working on you with this particular issue, then you've got to talk to God about some stuff. There's some serious issues that's going on with your heart and him. Okay? So in Acts 13, you find these are the first missionaries that are sent out from Antioch. Now it says in verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So the very first thing that you see here in verse 2 is, As they ministered to the Lord... As they ministered to the Lord, God called them out. They were ministering to God, which means they were walking with him. So that means daily. They were praying personally. That means that they were in the word of God daily. That they were active in discipleship. They prioritized discipleship in Antioch personally. They were doing the work in their local church. And they were ministering to God because they were doing the right things. And some of us aren't even there. Like some of us aren't even at that stage yet where you are consistently praying, you're consistently reading your Bible and getting the Bible inside your heart, and you are consistent in discipleship. Those three things have to occur as you're ministering to God. And once you do that, God will help you. He will give you your purpose. He will help you. The vision of our church for this year is what? What is it? Fulfill the law of love. And that can be manifested in many different ways. Fulfilling the law of love. One of them could just be inviting people to church, reaching out to your neighbors. It could be sharing the gospel with somebody. It could be whatever, whatever. It could be, there's all sorts of ways that we could apply that. That is your vision for this year. How are you doing with that? Can you say that you've been more obedient to the law of love than you were six months ago? Can you say that you love God more now? You are more in love with God now and you could prove it by your life than you could six months ago. No one's going to call you on that. That's between you and God. But can you say that? Is there a track record of those things? Or are you hit and miss? Because if you're hit and miss, then that's a sign of immaturity. And if you want to be mature, you have to be more consistent. So take responsibility. Take responsibility. If you need help with remembering to pray every day, then ask for someone to help you. If you need help getting in your Bible every day, then start reading with somebody else and start getting some accountability. If you've not started discipleship, you should be in discipleship. And if you are in discipleship, are you faithful and are you consistent? Is it something that is a top priority for you? Or do you let other things get in the way because it's really just not that important to you? So these three things are key indicators of how you're doing with your walk with God. As far as Paul was concerned, he ministered to the Lord in his local church. He was faithful. He did what God told him to do. Matthew 6.21. Go ahead and read that one, Kent. Okay? 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I love that verse. That is like one of those verses that should smack you across the face every time you read it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your treasure? Is God your treasure? Is Jesus Christ your treasure? Because if it is, your heart will be with him. It will be with him. Or is there something else that's grabbing your attention? Is there something else that constantly is kind of getting in the way and drawing your, 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 your focus, your strength, your energy, your money? Is there other things that are just captivating your attention instead of the things of God? Because if that's the case, then that's where your heart is and you're really not walking with the Lord and you're not serving him first. So if you want to mature into a minister, that's the first place that you have to start. And for many of you, this is what you've got to get down. Because until this happens in your life, you will never really have a deep, consistent burden for people. You just won't. Because you're not spending time in God's word. You're not spending time with God. And so therefore, his thoughts are not getting in your head. And you're not reading how he feels about people. You're not talking to him about people. And if you're not thinking about how God thinks about people, and if you're not talking to God about people, you're never going to have a burden for people. And so I believe that most of us, here's what our enemy likes to do. He likes to get you entangled in sin issues and things that are godless until you are so entangled that you are busy dealing with sin issues with God and trying to make sure that you and God are in fellowship that you don't have time to think about people. That you don't have time to even pray for others because you're too busy praying for your own problems. Rather than yielding, actually dealing with those issues and then getting all those things behind you because now you're walking with God and now you have time to put your attention on others the way that God wants you to. Because I know that's my testimony. And I know that's how human nature can work. So once that's the case... Once you're able to start walking with God, then you need to, number two, cultivate God's burden for people because God will give you that burden. 2 Peter 3, 9, what is it? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That should be a verse and verses like it that just stir inside your heart. God is, he does not want anyone to die in their sin. He does not anyone to pass into eternity without hearing the gospel and to know what it means to trust Jesus as their savior. That is something that is deep in his heart and he groans over it. I mean, I think about this verse at times and I think about how, I mean, I forget how many people die a minute. I forget. Anybody know that off the top of their head? A lot, a lot, whatever the number is, there's a certain stat and I think about and I think about how many people die a minute. And can you just imagine God's heart that for every person that dies and they just go straight to hell? I mean, do you think about stuff like that? And how God's heart is like, oh, because they were never meant to go there. I mean, you need to think about those things. It will change your perspective on people. So think about that. John 3.16, we know that. God gave. Jesus Christ, he gave his life to serve us. Ezekiel 33.11 is another really, really good one. I love this one. It says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Like when wicked people die, a lot of people are like, yes, finally, they deserved it. You know how God thinks about it? Oh, no. Now this is it. They've crossed over into eternity. They can't go back now. They can't go back. And it grieves God at his heart. So these are things that we really need to think, think about. Go to Matthew 9. Go to Matthew 9. 
Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, we'll start in verse 35. Alright, 35. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And then after that in chapter 10, he called together his twelve disciples, and he sent them out to go do the work. That's what he did. But his heart in verse 36, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. I think sometimes we get so upset and ticked at people that are lost that we don't allow our hearts to be moved with compassion towards them. We don't realize what they don't have and what their eternal destination is, and we don't allow our hearts to be moved with compassion. We need to be exercising, cultivating God's burden for people in our own heart. So that's number two. Number one, you got to walk with the Lord and serve Him first. Prioritizing prayer, the Bible, and discipleship. Those three things are absolutely key. And then after you do that, then God will help you cultivate His burden for people and then number three, number three, be bold and strategic. So some of you, I know God's been working on you, that you are faithful. You are prioritizing prayer in your life. You're prioritizing your time in the word more than you have before. You're making discipleship more of a priority. God is starting to give you more of a burden for people. And so if that's you, then number three is right up your alley. Be bold and strategic. Be bold and strategic. All right. There's a couple things that are here. Number one, God told you to go. Acts 1.8, we already know that. He told you to go. You are to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And I know we've talked about this before. And if you weren't here, and I'm going to spoil it again for you, I apologize. But if you read through the book of Revelation, who wins? God wins. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I let the cat out of the bag. God wins. And if you are in God's side, if you are redeemed, you have won. You've won the war. You've won the battle. It doesn't matter what happens to you in this life. Someone could torture you and murder you and kill you and take everything that you have and where do you go when you die? Heaven. You received a promotion. You win. So no matter what happens to you in this life, you win. You've already won. And we, and we've talked about this before a couple weeks ago, we go into situations and conversations already defeated. We go into circumstances thinking that we've lost the conversation before you even have the conversation. That is a lie. That is a fat lie. That is not true. You have already won. What you do is that you just give it up and you say, all right, I quit. I'm not even doing it. And then, of course, you lose the battle. So you're acting like a loser when you're actually the winner in this circumstance. It's crazy what we do. You need to learn how to be bold. You need to learn how to be strategic. Did Jesus walk around defeated the whole time he was here? No, and in the end, he was crucified. He was killed for it. But he didn't walk around defeated. No, not at all. He walked around. He spoke with authority. He spoke with authority not because he was arrogant, but because he had the truth. People need to hear the truth regardless of how they felt because he loved them and he cared about them. We need to be the exact same because remember, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to start to say and do exactly what Jesus did in this world. 
So you can step into a conversation being a lone ranger and be completely, totally fine and be bold about it because you know who you believed and you trust your soul to him and you know the truth and you know they need it. So no matter what they say in return, it doesn't matter. They need to hear the truth. They need it because if they don't get it, I mean, is there a guarantee that somebody else is going to come along and say it? Maybe you are that person. Maybe there's something that's going on in their heart right now that they have been crying out to God for deliverance. And all of a sudden you've been the person that God has intersected their path with. And then we don't open up our mouth and you just passed up an opportunity that God's like, no, no, this person had been praying. They've been talking to me and you, I had you, I had you in this moment. I remember I made you late for school. God would do that. So that way you would cross this person's path at this point in time. So that way you could bump into them and invite them to church or talk to them about what God's been doing in your heart and in your life. And you didn't do it. You didn't do it. Okay, maybe I'll try to work it again and we can do it again and we can do it. But you don't know how many opportunities you have. You don't. A lot of people that you speak spiritual conversations to, you might only have one or two opportunities. Most of the time, just one and you'll never see them again. Now, as far as your friends at school, it's different. You got many opportunities. Capitalize on it. Because there's coming a day where you're going to graduate and you're never going to see hardly any of these people ever again. This might be the only shot that you've got where you're spending almost every day with these people. Where they can hear you. Where they can see your testimony. Where they can hear the words coming out of your mouth. And they can see what kind of decisions you're making. Even if they're making fun of you every single time. And calling you some lunatic Jesus freak. Noah, Jack. And they're, watch- they're watching you. They're watching you. They're seeing how you treat other people. And they know there's something different about you. So they might be ridiculing you in the moment, but I know, I know that deep down in their heart that God is convicting them. I know he is. Because 2 Peter 3, 9. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's working on people all the time because God loves all people. And he wants everyone to be saved. And so he's constantly working on people. God never gives up on people. He never, ever gives up on people. Until the moment they take their last breath, God will not give up on people. And neither should we, no matter what they say to you. And no matter how many times they ridicule you. We need to have that kind of a burden for people. So be bold and strategic. Look at Acts 16. Acts 16, and then we'll finish it out by being practical with this. Acts 16. All right. This is kind of cool. I'm stealing this from Tony Godfrey. I just listened to his sermon from this past Sunday, and I'm stealing it because I liked it. And it totally went in line with being a minister. By the way, if you can get on the podcast and listen to his sermon, I would highly recommend it. It's so good. Harvest Baptist Church. It's really, really good. All right. So be bold and strategic. Paul was, and so was Jesus. Jesus had a plan, and he executed that plan. And so did Paul. Paul had a great plan, and he executed it. All right, so take a look at chapter 16 and uh, verse 6. Okay, now when they, Paul and his company, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. What? I thought you said God loved everybody. Why would he stop people from getting the gospel into Asia? God's got a plan. He's got a strategic plan and he's working that plan. Just hold tight because if you go over to Acts 19.10, you'll find out that Asia got the gospel eventually. It was just not the right time yet. It's important. It's important. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Same thing. So the Spirit said, no, I don't want you to go. So they tried to get in there. 
He had a plan. He was executing that plan. He wanted to go into Asia. He wanted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of God said, no, you're not going. And then verse 8, And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. And, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, I want you to notice something here. God gave these guys a vision. God gave them a burden. God gave them a direction. God gave them an open door. And look what they did in verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, what's the next word? Immediately. Well, let me just pray about it. Nope. There's nothing to pray about. They knew God wanted them to go in a certain direction. And so immediately they went. And it says, immediately we endeavored. Endeavored. They, all right, you know what? God's opening up this door for us. So let's just go at it. Let's just go. We're going to endeavor. We're going to figure it out. Have you ever thought about this person that you wrote down on your paper? Whoever it is or these people. Look at that name again. Whoever you got. Whatever that name is on your paper. Have you ever thought about coming up with a systematic plan on how to reach them? Have you ever sat down to think, how could I reach this person? How could I? What, in what ways could I reach this person? You know, I've actually, I remember, and I regret not doing this when we were up in Akron. I remember talking to Megan about our neighbors, knowing that we were going to be leaving soon. And there were some ideas that I had to reach our neighbors. And I didn't take advantage of it. I had some good ideas that would have worked and would have gone well, and I never did it. And I regret it now. I really do. I mean, I had opportunities to witness to them and to invite them to church and talk to them about spiritual things, but I could have done more. And so now, you know what I'm thinking about now? I'm thinking about my current neighbors. I'm thinking about where they're at. I know the guy that crossed the street, he's lost. I know he is. I know that my other neighbors, they say they're saved, but I don't know exactly what they believe. And I need to have some conversations with them. In what ways could I systematically try to go and reach them and to minister to them? And to not just give them the gospel, but to tell them that I love them and care for them and to be Jesus Christ to them. Because Jesus Christ didn't just tell them the truth. He did. But he also healed them. He spent time with them. He encouraged them. He played with their kids. Have you ever thought about that? Remember when the children were coming to Jesus? And the disciples were like, no, 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 no. He doesn't want to spend time with Jesus. And Jesus was like, no, no, let them come. I want to spend time with children. Have you ever thought about that? There's multiple ways to reach people and to minister to them. Do you even know what's going on with other people? You should know what's going on with other people. Be bold and strategic. Think about people. Think about what they're going through. Have you ever even thought about maybe stopping the person you're burdened for and say, hey, how are you doing? I mean, what's going on? Is there anything that you want me to be praying for? Whoa, you wait, hold on. I'm not gonna... Yes, pray for them. Ask, ask, ask. Is there anything that I can be praying for you about? Most people will never turn away prayer. Ever. And there might be something that's going on. Have you ever noticed and tried to keep track of people's countenances and how they're carrying themselves? You can know if there's something that's bothering somebody. And if something's bothering somebody, have you ever thought about going up and talking to them and saying, hey, what's up? What's wrong? You okay? You know, I don't want to get into your business, but I just noticed that you're just, you know, there's something that's wrong and I just, I just feel for you. What's, what's going on? What can, I, can, I, can I pray for you? Whatever it is, can I pray for you? What is it? I mean, anything like that. Anything like that. 
take that next step. We stay so inside of our our little bubbles and our little our little spheres of, of our life and we just, I don't know what it is. It's almost like we're fearful to step outside and get into someone else's mess. But that's what Jesus did. That's exactly what he did. He stepped out of heaven, came to this earth to step into your mess and to deliver you. And so it should not be like rocket science for you to just all of a sudden, you mean Jesus wants me to do the same thing? Yes. Step out of your world and into the mess of other people and minister to them. Ministry's messy. It's inconvenient. It's not easy. But people are the object of God's love. And so people need to be the object of your love. And so here's what I want you to do. In the last five minutes that we got together, I want you to think about one thing that you can do with that person to minister to them, to take a step into their world and into their mess of a life because we're all messes. And I want you to think, what is something that I can do to truly minister to them, to touch them, not because this is what a good Christian does, but this is what Jesus would do and I am his representative and I need to love people like this. Because if the Spirit of God is inside of you, this is his burden and this is something that he's called you to do. So go ahead and take a couple minutes and do that. All right, while you guys are writing this out, is there anybody that's just like, you know what, I this is an impossible situation and they just don't know how to how to do this and maybe they can share the maybe you can't share, maybe you can share the circumstance and maybe I can try to give you some ideas. Anybody? Anybody, anybody? All right. Well, then I guess you know what to do. All right, so here's the goal. Over the next week, two weeks, I want you to do whatever you wrote down. And if you need to still write and continue, please do that. Whatever it is, I want you to write it down and I want you to do it. If you have any other opportunities to minister, I want you to go ahead and I want you to do it. When we come back together, when I'm back from Mexico, 
on the 24th. I want us to talk about these circumstances and I want to talk about what went well, what did not go well. Or if you had a hard time working it out, I want to talk about it because we need to start doing this and we need to get more creative on how to minister to people. So I want to take some extra time and really work through how do you minister to people? What's the proper way? How can you reach this person? Or I ran into this circumstance or I had this kind of a conversation and I didn't know where to go with it. Just do something, come back with it, ready to share. And, you know, just like with evangelizing, I told you guys, the only way to get good at evangelizing is to get out there and make a mess of it, right? And it's the same thing with this kind of stuff. The only way you can get experience and learn how to be a good minister is by getting out there and actually ministering to people. Step outside of your world, get into their mess, and just think about how God would interact with them. And on, I think about that. If I was Jesus sitting in wherever, like today, I was putting all these, this stuff together, and I was sitting in Starbucks, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm sitting here, and what would Jesus do if he were here? I mean, honestly. And then you know what I did? Jason was having a conversation with Brian next to me, and I'm like, okay, would Jesus butt in on this conversation? Yeah, he would. And so then I just moved my stuff over, and I said, hey, do you mind if I join in the conversation? And we had a really good conversation. And, and it was just awesome. So you need to do stuff like that. Be in a circumstance and just think, I am God's representative. What would he do if he were here? Because you're his ambassador. So come back with this over the next week or so. And you can even share some of your stories next week if you'd like to, um, as Rick intros and does some stuff. Uh, but when we come back on the 24th, on that Wednesday, I want to really sit down and break some of the stuff down and have a good interactive conversation on how to minister to people the right way. Okay? Good, bad, and the ugly. Deal? Okay, you guys going to do this? All right. I see maybe half the room somewhat confident. All right, let's do it. I'm serious. We need to start doing some of this stuff. You guys need to start to be pushed and challenged. You guys know a lot of information. You need to get out there and start cutting your teeth on some of this stuff. Okay? God's given us a lot. He's given you guys a lot more than a lot of other churches and a lot of other youth ministries. We need to start putting some action into this stuff. Okay? All right, good deal. Let's go ahead and pray. Rick, you want to close us in prayer? Your Lord, we just come before you again tonight, and uh, these are all uh, crucial, crucial points. It's putting spiritual gifts into action and applying them, and uh, really uh, just learning to trust you faithfully uh, more and more with each step. And especially when we we step out to uh, to witness and minister with others around us, these are key. And ultimately, they are going to help define us and who we are as servants for you. And uh, Lord, especially for these folks in the age that they're at now, this is a great opportunity. A great opportunity to start finding out uh, who they really are in you. So Lord, I pray that this challenge would be embraced, that they wouldn't be fearful of it, but that they would pray and ask for your wisdom, and that they would... Uh, step out boldly in faith and just do it and meet the needs of somebody that needs them whether it's just praying for them maybe they need a couple bucks for gas who knows whatever the case is there's just there's plenty of opportunity the harvest is great and the laborers are few and it is true and you want us to go so i pray that we would just uh, embrace this challenge and and take it to heart lord because we love you not because it's a task that we've been given on a Wednesday night to report back with, but because we love you. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.